Welcome to ASME's TechCast, bringing you the innovators, the innovations, and the issues that push the envelope of engineering. I'm Jeff O'Hare. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Some men you just can't reach. Ah, yes. Every day, each of us faces some type of communication challenge, even, believe it or not, engineers. As multidisciplinary engineers work more and more in non-traditional environments, they're forced to collaborate with different colleagues, different team members who often don't understand the jargon, the terms, the lexicon that each other uses. The outcome doesn't always result in the beating poor Paul Newman suffered at the hand of Struther Martin and Cool Hand Luke, but it can lead to problems in product design and development, overall workflow, time to market, and not to mention all of the frustrations that occur when one side simply doesn't know what the other is talking about. That communication gap is particularly acute in the biomedical industry, where more engineers are being hired to work in design, manufacturing, supply chain, and other areas. Help, though, is on the way. ASME and its sister organization, the Alliance of Advanced Biomedical Engineering, that's AABME.org, is now working with a group of experts in industry and academia to develop a lexicon of terms to help clarify communications between engineers and their colleagues in non-traditional industries. Entrepreneurial engineers like Robert Giasoli, founder, CTO, and VP of R&D for Cajun Vascular, are extending those efforts to hospital emergency rooms, research, and other areas where engineers are hired to solve new types of problems they've not faced in the past. Before we speak with Robert, though, first, Chitra Setti, Managing Editor of Mechanical Engineering Magazine, and Christine Riley, ASME's Business Development Director of Healthcare, get together to introduce you to ASME's new engineering and biomedical lexicon initiative. An artificial pancreas, 3D-printed hip implants, devices for early cancer detection, genome editing, and many more such medical innovations wouldn't have been possible without engineering. An engineer's ability to take an abstract idea and translate into reality is what separates an engineer from other fields of science. Today's engineers are not only building structures, but also creating technology and products that help make our lives easier. Engineers play a crucial role in advancing the biomedical field. However, there is a need to bridge the gap between engineering and medical domains to address the current problems in healthcare and provide solutions that can benefit the society. ASME recently launched a new initiative designed to bring together members of the biomedical engineering community to encourage collaboration and information sharing across disciplines. Today we have with us Christine Riley, ASME's Business Development Director for Healthcare, to learn more about how this initiative will help bridge the gap between research and industry. Christine, welcome today. Thank you very much. I appreciate your having me. So Christine, as a bioengineer yourself, do you think a gap exists between engineers and biomedical professionals? I think there certainly does. Um, particularly, we've found out that between engineers and biologists and clinicians, that there appears to be a language gap. Primarily, we've found by interviewing those in the field, even from my own experiences, that there's a stumbling point right in the communication area. So we found even with basic terms like stability, a clinician sees this in one area, for example, the stability of a knee. It's something that they see along a continuum, whereas engineers see this in a binary aspect, either something stable or it's not, and it has very different implications. 
So you take that a little bit farther when an engineer and a physician are working on a new medical device related to, say, a knee implant or a hip implant, that the definition of stability and the differing definitions of stability can inhibit progress even on something like this type of medical device. So what's ASME doing to bridge the gap between engineering and healthcare? So we're seeing ourselves as content providers. We have access to subject matter experts in many different disciplines, again, from bioengineering to applied mechanics. We even are working with uh, physicians, those in the electrical engineering field or other branches of engineering and, and biologists to bring them together to provide content, whether that's articles, whether those are podcasts or videos or other ways to explain to those who are working on multidisciplinary teams how to define these different terms, how to approach problems in a certain way, even looking at case studies where there have been some communication gaps and explaining to the broader audience how they've overcome these problems to produce something that's used by the community, that's something that can advance human health. So, Christine, is there is there a particular product being developed? Sure. We're producing what we're calling the bioengineering lexicon. Um, that's going to be something that's produced on our website, the Alliance of Advanced Biomedical Engineering, that's aabme.org, and we plan to release this content um, over the coming year. The planned date of release is June of 2019. Great. Thank you so much for that input and insights, Christine. Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure. Back to you, Jeff. Thank you, Chitra and Christine. Our next guest, who's working closely with the ASME team to develop its lexicon initiative, is someone who knows all too well the communication gap that exists between engineers and biomedical professionals. Robert Giasoli is a physicist, engineer, serial inventor, and entrepreneur who recently founded Cajent Vascular, where he serves as VP of R&D and the lead inventor of many of its most important products. He's also an accomplished mime. More on that later. Robert, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Jeff. Glad to be here. So when you talk about the communication and language gap that exists between research and industry, particularly in the biomedical field, exactly what types of problems are there? If you think about the biomedical field, surgeons are taught to control the operating suite. So they come at problems with a control mindset, and they're the only person in the room that's supposed to be in charge. So that, in addition to the concept that most people think they can design, it's not uncommon. We all think of better ways, better mousetraps in our daily life. Mm. So if you're taught that you're in control and you think you can design, you start projecting exactly what your your user needs are to a engineer. What, what is a researcher or engineer taught? Well, we're taught to explore the problem and figure out what the boundaries are. That's a different term. That's a design input term. And when a physician provides structure around what it is that they need, they don't tend to talk in design input terms. They tend to talk in, this is what I need. But they think the image is really, you know, what they're describing in image form is what they want. It's mm -hmm. not necessarily the same. I guess, in a nutshell, the problem is one side doesn't always know what the other one's talking about. Yeah, that's right. You know, the researcher is seeking what the boundaries are within the design space. And in my experience, what you need to do is go through a series of questions and, and really to more than one user. 
not just one physician, but a series of physicians, so you get a really structural picture of the boundaries. So you've, you know, you've designed many products, you've worked with many different types of teams. Can you give us a real-world example of how this communication gap occurred, where it occurred, and um, you know, maybe the solution that you found in that particular example around that problem? So the first medical device that I worked on with a physician named Dr. Schneider in Hawaii, he wanted to create a series of staples inside the artery to keep it open. And what he drew on the napkin when we were talking was a ring, just like you'd put on a ring on your finger, just a circle. And he said, I I, want to be able to place a series of rings inside the artery and keep it open. Well, First, you can't you can't get a ring <laughs> into the body. <laughs> you know, you uh, you'd have to do major surgery to get the ring in there. So you have to have some way of collapsing the structure to a very small footprint, mm-hmm. and then allow it to expand through a series of of um, investigation and and self discovery. I realized that rings wouldn't at all be possible, and the design that we came up with is incredibly versatile. It has unique features that weren't originally conceived of by Dr. Schneider that allow for the device to be used in much broader applications than the original concept. Mm. What ended up being the actual design in the end? What did you make for him? It has more of a wavy pattern with long, long footprints and it's designed to come out in stages, come out of a catheter, the end of a catheter in stages, so it doesn't, so it stays st- stable during its delivery. And that was key because what we made was one of the, sh- the shortest stent-like structures yeah, yeah. ever made, you know, six millimeters long. Oh, okay. For this to come out and not be shot out of the end of the catheter like, a, like shooting a watermelon seed out of your mouth, we had to have a way of um, producing a, a footprint against the artery wall at different stages of the delivery. And it worked incredibly well. Now, Dr. Schneider was expecting rings. You gave him a stent-like device. How did you end up conveying that to him, that this was the proper product or device to use? Well, that's a series of of events, right? Mm -hmm. We, um, We started with something very simple, and we proved that rings wouldn't work. And that out of that exploration of rings not working, there was a feature within the ring design that I thought needed to go forward in every design iteration. And that was like, um, it was like a jaw or a, um, a piece of the metal that stuck out, um, not circular, it stuck out of the circle and bit into the artery. And designing that was tricky, trying to get it so that it could, you know, in a ring form, part of it would stick out. And the way that I was able to achieve that was by visualizing and realizing that the artery wasn't going to be smooth. It was going to be a rocky, hilly domain, mm-hmm. right? Because it's diseased and, and it's not healthy. And so whenever it goes around, you know, part of the structure goes around a hill, a piece of these little teeth stick into the artery to keep it stable. And he, I take it he was pleased with the oh, final design? It, it's, yeah, it, it's been very well received in the industry. Great. Now, you also worked as a consultant for the Army, the Air Force, and a few of our national labs. You've worked in so many different environments. So how pervasive or common is this gap 
and what types of problems does it actually bring to you know de the development of certain products and solutions does it impact time to market budgets other types of resources other types of, uh, of problems absolutely yeah it, it doesn't matter what the field is you have to identify what the user needs are mm -hmm. and, they, and they, they can come from anywhere you know design inputs are sometimes wrongly associated you know so you start a project and people think that they have the design inputs I you know when I when I worked with the military I was working with engineers so they had already structurally designed this you know um, an element it was a safety and arming switch and the problem was for in that project they had designed this switch that they wanted to put in all of US soldiers future warrior project in their bullets and to build the switch it was costing them twenty dollars now that's not possible if you know if you're going to war you're gonna be burning through bullets you know really fast yeah. so they came to me and were asking is there a way to modify the design to reduce the cost and through some very simple changes in the design inputs I was able to create an alternate way of making the device with much less expensive process steps chemical etch and things like that are bulk processes and we got the price down to 20 cents so what needs to be done to solve these types of communications problems well part of the problem is actually on the researchers side you know when we're taught in school we come out of an engineering school with the concept that you'll be given certain parameters and you'll design within those parameters and you'll be able to optimize your design as you go along. In reality, what I've found is that you're coming into the project with preconceived ideas. We all have them. And some of them come from what you've done previously, but it's also in the dialogue you're having with the physician. So the physician is giving you preconceived ideas. For instance, if, if someone told you to, to make a pen, I'm holding a pen in my hand, you might immediately think, well, all right, it's got a wick to the end, and you know, it, maybe it's going to have a little ball thing that rolls, because you, see, you already know how they're made. <laughs> you already have some concept of it. But if you had never touched a pen, you would be wide, much wider open. Okay, so what do you mean by a pen? And that's kind of where you need to start with a physician, because sometimes mm -hmm. they're telling you things because they have preconceived ideas of how to solve it, which will never work. Other than the ASME Lexicon Initiative, you're working on others to close a communication gap, and one that one that stands out. And describe it briefly as you work with emergency room doctors in around Atlanta. Correct? Yeah, you know, every day we all struggle with whatever device we're using—a mop, a broom—and in the me emergency room, medical doctors really struggle when a device doesn't perform to the need that they're using it for, and so you'll find often physicians grabbing for things that are not for its intended use. Mm -hmm. So outside of its intended use to solve a complex problem that they're faced with in that moment. And what we're trying to do is provide a, a more effective relationship between how designers think and how physicians think, provide a more rapid transition to design development. So obviously, successful solutions to improving the, this communication gap requires a lot of spoken communications. Yet, you learn to communicate quite successfully as, of all things, a mime. So how will those skills 
translate into what you're trying to do now to, you know, to bridge this communication gap? The thing about mime is to be an effective mime, you need to communicate complex things, right? It's, it's the non-spoken word. So, and not only do you have to communicate it, but you have to see it yourself. So you have to pay very close attention to what you're doing. It's, you know, it's in the details. And there's more than one way to, to create a box. You can create a box on, on the outside, but you can also, you know, you can show a box from the edges. You still have your skills because you're doing that mind <laughs> thing in front of me and it looks pretty good. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, so what, I'm, what I've learned is that it's important to be capable of conveying, this is what I just heard you say to me, right? And often we convey in our bodies more than we realize, right? So you've got the communication skill where you have to you have to be engaged. You have to show you're engaged. You have to be responsive in words, but also in body language. And then the second part of it is the value in the lab. Um, I'm incredibly observant. I don't. I try not to miss anything. You know, I pay attention to all the variables, and I look at what the sample is telling me. I don't project my image onto the sample. I I let the sample. You know, I try to pay attention to anything. It's you know whatever it is. And I find that physicians are incredibly appreciative of my responses. All righty. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Jeff. And thank you for listening. Make sure to tune into our next episode of TechCast when we explore the new field of biomaterials and the talent and communication gaps that exist in that industry. I'm Jeff O'Hare. Wow.